0: Hello and welcome to the Hall of Fame video game podcast starring Matt Levy and Mike Staub. We love video games and have embarked on a journey to index the greatest video games of all time into our very own Hall of Fame. Here's the show. Hello and welcome to the Hall of Fame video game podcast. I am your host Matt Levy and joining me He's fully cell shaded for us this week. We have Michael Stabb. How are
1: you, Mike? Good. And I am a subject of both controversy and ridicule if it's 2001. So 2001 into 2002. So I just want to let everyone know that <laughs> E3 2001 or 2 just happened and people hate how I look. The internet thinks I'm for babies now. Yeah,
0: totally, Mike. Well, let's tell everyone why that is the case. So this week, we have a game that I think is beloved by both of us. I don't know if I'm speaking for, for you there, Mike. Oh, yeah, I, it's definitely beloved for me. So we are talking about The Legend of Zelda Wind Waker that came out in North America March of 2003 on that little purple box called the Nintendo GameCube. And it is a third-person action-adventure game, very much like Ocarina of Time before it. Mike, what does The Wind Waker
1: mean to you? I think The Wind Waker is a game that upset people when it had come out and when it was first unveiled. But what it means to me is I think it's a very good game. I think it's one of the more underappreciated Zelda games. I think it's very odd. I think it's kind of in the same headspace as something like Majora's Mask or one of the or Link's Awakening, like one of the Zelda games that like doesn't follow the formula to a T. Now, Wind Waker is still very formulaic in terms of like how Zelda operates at large, but like it mixes the formula up so much that where it doesn't it almost feels completely unique and different. And Wind Waker was brilliant because we were so used at this point to kind of walking around Hyrule Field, running around the field, doing stuff in that, and kind of experiencing Hyrule as you would think, you would think in all these other games. But Wind Waker took that concept and it it drowned Hyrule underwater. And it turned the Zelda game into a high seas adventure. And it kind of has everything you'd expect out of a high seas adventure. You're, you're, you're zooming around the great sea, trying to uncover treasure and you're dealing with pirates and you're dealing with ghost ships and you're dealing with bombs and cannons. And it's a really, really fun way to experience a Zelda game because it's wholly, because it's wholly unique. Nothing quite feels like Wind Waker in the series before or after it, even the other games, when they tried to like do more stuff with the Wind Waker link, with the with with spirit tracks or Phantom Hourglass, like it doesn't work the same, and the design was wholly different and original from anything we've seen. And it's nice to see that the Wind Waker has kind of gotten a second chance as it's gotten older, as people have found this game and found its cel shaded graphics to actually be quite charming. To the point where, like, Wind Waker looks better today than. Pretty much any Zelda game that came out around that time, it looks better than Twilight Princess does in terms of history, in terms of like holding up to how it looks, and it looks better. Obviously, it looks better than Majora's Mask and Ocarina of Time as a 3D game. This game still looks good. It looks like you're playing a cartoon movie, and I believe even the style was cribbed from a movie called The Little Prince, I believe. If you Google that, The Little Prince, it actually looks exactly like this style. So it's an old, old animated film that this was based on. But as we've said, as we alluded to, or as I alluded to too at the beginning of this long statement, Wind Waker was met with immediate hatred. This game was hated the second they showed anything about it. And I think that that, that's one of the first times I remember in my history as a nerd and as a gamer, seeing that much internet backlash against something that had yet to be released. Now, I'm going to take you back to 2001. The GameCube is not yet out, but Nintendo has this event called Space World that used to be like their conference. They would show a whole bunch of games and people would get really jazzed about it. And for Space World 2000, Nintendo historically shows this updated Zelda of what Zelda could look like on their new console, which at the time I believe was called the Dolphin. And they show you this Link that looks very similar to Ocarina of Time Link, but like much better because it's on a new console. And it's, a, it's got that kind of more mature dark feel. And he's fighting Ganon and Ganondorf has this giant sword. So everyone was like, all right, well, when Zelda comes out for the GameCube, it's going to look like that. And then at E3 2001 or Space World, whatever the 2001 event was, I think it was E3, they show Wind Waker and it looks like a cartoon. And Link is a little kid and he's got these big bug eyes and he's chasing pigs around and he's, everything looks like it's a cartoon. And in 20, 2001, cartoons were not cool they weren't even anime at that time still was kind of a niche market even though dragon ball z and pokemon and final fantasy 7 were kind of were blowing up and sailor moon and all that it was still not as widespread so people see this anime inspired cartoon inspired zelda game and immediately wrote it off and i think that's kind of part of the reason why the gamecube didn't do as well because the zelda game didn't grab people
0: yeah mike that's that's a great introduction And you're 100% right. I do think that this aesthetic, the art style, is sort of timeless. You look at most games from the N64, the GameCube, or even the Wii era, and they don't look very good. They haven't aged well, especially when they went for any sort of realistic type of graphical style. But this game, because of the cell shading, which I think the GameCube did really, really well in particular, this game looks beautiful. And yes, you're right. The internet did backlash Before, I think it's probably after Phantom Menace. I don't know. That's probably the first internet backlash, but this is probably the first big video game backlash. But you're right. I remember this time where the internet just rose up against Wind Waker, not liking the art style and people that actually gave it a chance, Mike, people that actually gave it a try and sat down, saw an experience that you couldn't have gotten in Ocarina of Time, an experience that was tighter, more visually in tune, you had more control over the camera. There were so many things, the details in the environment. I remember the first time I threw a bomb in Wind Waker and I saw it blow up, Mike, and you saw the dust, everything around it, the rocks shooting up. And I thought it was gorgeous. And to me personally, what they did with Wind Waker HD, I would take that over Breath of the Wild. And I know some people think that's blasphemy, but there's something to this art style. And that's the first thing you have to talk about because of how controversial it was. And there are people this... To this day, that
1: will not play it because of that anime, cartoon-like art style, Mike. Well, those people are fools if we're going to be nice about it. This is an excellent game. This is a game that dared to be different, dared to change the Zelda style, and I think it's better for it. And to your point, I don't think we have Breath of the Wild without Wind Waker from its visual design because that cell shading carries on throughout the Zelda games. It's not in Twilight Princess because Twilight Princess obviously is a direct response to the Wind Waker. 100%. It's a direct response to people not liking how Wind Waker looked. And they're like, we're going to make a Zelda game that's going to make all the Lord of the Rings fans happy. Because Lord of the Rings was like the biggest film to come out at the time. And everyone wanted orcs and goblins. and, And if you look at the reveal trailer for Twilight Princess, you've got Link on a horse fighting goblins riding giant like wargs from like Lord of the Rings. And was it's this so much, was this more the serious. tech
0: demo where you saw Link fighting this giant spider in a room, or was that a different game? Was that that Skyward?
1: was that was the tech demo f- on the Wii U. Yeah. That would like like showing you kind of what Zelda could look like on the Wii U before. But that didn't we got turn Breath- into anything, right? Yeah. No, no. Eventually, so. eventually we got Breath of the Wild as a Wii U game. But the big, one of the biggest things about Wind Waker, which we, we don't often talk about when we talk about Breath of the Wild, which many will consider the best Zelda game ever made, Wind Waker gave us the Deku Leaf or the Deku Leaf, which eventually became the, the sail, Link's kind of glider. So the, Nintendo always takes from places. And one of the best aspects of of Breath of the Wild is the fact that Link has that kind of glider sail that he can use everywhere, which is kind of takes you back to the Deku Leaf on, the, on Wind Waker. And yeah, people really didn't like it. They were really turned off by what, the, what it looked like. And when you go back and look at it now, you're like, wow, we were stupid. Because this looks so good. This looks so good. And it's upsetting because it's very difficult to get your hands on the Wind Waker today.
0: Yeah. And nope. ho- hopefully it changes. You're right, Mike. There's something else that we don't credit it enough. We always credit the NES original Legend of Zelda for letting you go anywhere. And then we credit Breath of the Wild for, again letting you explore anywhere. And I feel like Wind Waker doesn't get credit for also being in that same type of, it's not a linear game by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, yes, there's certain dungeons and areas you can't get to right away, but the game has a freedom to it that you don't get necessarily in Twilight Princess or Ocarina of Time. This game is very open. And and I'd say just the, the scale of it is really impressive.
1: While the story and the game itself is kind of point to point. There is you are encouraged as a player to go out in the world and sail the great sea, right? You're kind of encouraged to go out there and look for stuff and find secrets. And there are secrets on like every square of of the map. Like yeah, every square th- of the map, definitely has them.
0: rewarded for looking around and finding just a bunch of like you said those goblins just. Hanging out on the open sea, you slash a bunch of them and a chest
1: shows up. Yeah. And it's great because there's so much weird stuff out there and people always find new stuff. So as you're 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 searching around the sea, you can you could you could dig for buried treasure, you can find islands that don't have like temples or anything on them that allow you to find all sorts of items or meet the great fairies. And you have a, a fast travel system where you can like summon whatever you call them, like water spouts, so that you can get brought to another place. It's like it's so cool because so few games have done what Wind Waker has done. I, don't, I can't think of many, even games that are like pirate games. I can't think of many games that do what Wind Waker has done. To a degree, you get a little bit of it in the Assassin's Creed games. Where you're doing like, but that's and you get ship combat in Zelda too. Uh, Wind Waker has ship combat. When you switch to bombs while you're in the boat that Link sails the entire world on, the, it becomes a cannon, and you can shoot that cannon at things out in the ocean. And you have a day night cycle. It's so quiet at night, like the the ocean is so quiet at night, and the sounds and oh, playing the this sounds game and the oh. music. Mike,
0: this was one of the first
1: games that had what's
0: called Dolby Pro Logic two. Yeah. And I had I was so impressed at that time because I bought myself a little 2.1 speaker in my in my bedroom. Look at, at that this time. guy! It <laughs> was it was so cool to have a game that hooked up to it, and you actually had the sound kind of filling up these different speakers. You're right; the sounds of the ocean and just the mu-
1: little musical touches were fantastic. Yeah, and that's kind of part of the reason why you you played this game, right? You played this game because. You wanted that degree of exploration. And you don't always get that in a Zelda game, right? A lot of them are very linear. And this game isn't not linear, but there's so much more to explore. And that really is what makes this game just that much better. It's it's a very it's a very interesting and unique experience while still at points feeling like. It's very much a Zelda game. Yeah. Well, to me,
0: when I played this game originally back in 2003, I played it a few months after it came out. And I remember just having a great time with, like you said, just exploring the ocean, using the Wind Waker baton to control different things, controls the time of day, the wind to help you go faster, warping around. That was a really neat thing. And also having the, the boat, the talking boat, the King of the Red Lions, who's kind of like that stereotypical Zelda character that's like your your companion, your buddy for the adventure.
1: Yeah, he's, he's like the Na'vi in this game. But what's great about the King of the Red Lions, he's actually the King of Hyrule. So he's the King of Hyrule who's been trapped in this form as a boat. And he's kind of going around to help Link find his way around the Great Sea and to find all this stuff. And it's really cool. It's really cool, and you have this giant map, right? this giant map that's like square by square. You chart out each individual square on the map, and it's using- cool because it found. It feels like like a
0: pirate treasure map that you have, Mike. That you got all these axes on and different places to explore. So if you're
1: any fan of living a pirate adventure, it's great. And you get these you get these treasure charts, and these sea charts that you can use to like find spots on the map. That allow you to dig for treasure, and that's really that's it's very piratey. Now Link himself isn't a pirate, but he kind of joins a pirate crew in this game. When you're introduced to the Zelda stand-in in in this game, who is Tetra, who is a young leader of of a a group of like pirates, essentially, right? these pirate folks that kind of capture Link and Link has to like ask to join their crew and he has to go through all these trials and you do all this stuff and you kind of are like an honorary pirate as Link. But at the same time, you yourself are kind of going to all these different islands to do all this kind of wacky piratey stuff. It very much feels like you're sailing around the Caribbean or the Caribbean based on how you want to pronounce it as kind of like this like sea-fearing pirate adventurer. And there's a pirate slash nautical motif that's kind of laid over everything. Even your regular towns that are supposed to be like, well, this is clearly Kakariko village and this is clearly Kokori village. Each island in in and of itself has like a vibe to it. Even the song Dragon Roost Island, which might be the best song from uh, Wind Waker. When you go to this island that has this volcano with a dragon stuck in it, uh, who has this had Goma, right? The big monster Goma that we fought in a bunch of Zelda games is like attached to this thing's tail. That island has like this pirate theme song to it. So in Wind Waker, they're called the Rito, R-I-T-O, the Rito. And they're, I believe, they're like bird people. And I believe that they're the descendants of the Zoras. So the Zoras moved out of the sea. But in ocarina of time i'm not ocarina of time in breath of the wild we actually meet bird people right we meet bird people i believe they're the rudo i think they're the rudo village i believe is what they're called girl and this is called rito i think that's her name right the the feathered girl with like kind of the duck looking nose (laughs) yeah she's got like a she's got like a a duck looking a duck looking nose but no they are the rito in in breath of the wild as well so they become less bird-like and less avian and more human-like by the time you get to Wind Waker. But the problem is, is I don't know where Breath of the Wild is well, on the stupid timeline. The
0: timeline, I think Wind Waker is like years and years later, correct? He's like a deep descendant.
1: Yeah, he is a deep descendant because they celebrate the Hero of Time. Right. So the whole point of the game is you wake up on Link's 11th birthday. You wake up late because it's Link, and that's what happens. And you wake up late on Link's 11th birthday. And because it's your 11th birthday, because the Hero of Time started his adventure... When he was eleven, you're given a ceremonial garb and that you have to wear, and that ceremonial garb is Link's kind of tunic and hat. And it so happens that as soon as Link puts this stuff on and like goes outside of his house, his sister gets captured. His sister, whose name is Aeril, gets captured by a giant bird by Ganondorf, and then Link has to go to like the Forsaken Fortress to free her. And he never changes his clothes. So no.
0: and it's what's interesting about that, Mike, is this is one of the first Link Adventures where you actually get some family to Link, where you actually get to see like, is that his grandmother that like he's chilling with when, yeah. when he gets the the tunic from? And other games, you meet like his uncle in Links of the Past. Like you just meet random family members from different Link descendants. So it's interesting here that you meet the sister and the grandmother.
1: Yeah, Link's got a sister, he's got a grandma, they have a house, she's got a ceremonial shield that like I guess it was his grandfather's. So it's it's interesting there and it's fun and Link really never had siblings before, right? There were times where I think there were times where it was it was made to give the player an assumption that Zelda was his sister. If you're playing a Link to the Past, Link's quote unquote uncle dies right before saying Zelda is your dot 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 and who knows who knows what that could mean. I mean as a kid I always assumed that meant sister, right? That they were kind of related that way. And then there's games like Ocarina, like Skyward Sword and Breath of the Wild, where it's like, no, Link and Zelda are kind of like a couple, right? Which it's heavy, heavily insinuated that without giving it to you outright in a very Anime style, where it's like these characters are dating, but we're never going to actually show that or tell you that that's happening because that's not what we do here at Nintendo. So it's one of those things where, unless you're playing Fire Emblem, where that's pretty much the purpose of the game. So it's very interesting to see how they gave Link a family, and he and Tetra kind of have like this, this kind of middle school kind of what do we call it in every anime ever that whole childhood friend relationship. That's kind of how Zelda, Link, and Tetra. Operate and uh, later on, you find out that Tetra is Zelda and Link is actually the reincarnated spirit of the hero. And then he kills Ganon by putting a big sword in his face. So, this game's got a lot. This game's got a lot. And we've gone a long time to talk about how great it is to sail around the world, even though having to switch the wind every few minutes is awful. And I think we can all admit that when they re released this game on Wii U, which uh, I just purchased again for like 50 bucks when they re-released this game on Wii U and they gave you that sail that has the wind always pointed at always pushing you along so you don't have to stop and conduct the winds with Link's little conductor baton that made the game so much better and it sped up the processes of all the most annoying parts about the game later on but we've gone very far into this game without talking about in my mind the best aspect of Wind Waker and the exploration's great the music's great the visuals are obviously iconic The combat is terrific, terrific. This might be the best combat in a Zelda game. Skyward Sword borrows so much from Wind Waker and how its combat works. Twilight Princess kind of does its own thing, but it has little bits and pieces of it. But the combat system in, and I think even Breath of the Wild borrows from Wind Waker here. When you hit an enemy and it's a good hit, you hear these orchestra hits as you hit them until you knock them out and they blow up into like a puff of like little gray smoke. Which is beautiful.
0: Every time you kill an enemy, it's gorgeous to watch. But I love, like you said, the lock on and then rolling around is so much fun.
1: You roll around, they give you that dodge mechanic where like the little gem that you're carrying like alerts you that someone's going to try to hit you so then you could dodge around the guy and slice him up the back. It sounds like Dark Souls, but it's good. Well, it's not as janky.
0: It's not as no, it's really tight, Mike. It's like really the combat, tight. this is some of the best combat, maybe the best combat in a Zelda game.
1: Absolutely. And there are some interesting takes on the enemies too, when you fight them. Some of the best fights in the game that you'll have is you'll have against like the Dark Nuts, who are these armor-clad Doberman pinchers, really. They're like Doberman pincher people and they're clad in this armor and by using the dodge system and the parry system or whatever it is you use you slowly slice their armor off until they're just a dog and then you smack them around and when you hit someone in this game with the sword it makes a great sound but the best sound in the game is when you smack someone with the boomerang it sounds like they're getting hit across the face with like a big floppy fish and it is it is great it is great so like you have the the mo- the, the moblins who are like very piggish in this game so that's great you've got these dark nuts that are kind of like dogs they're like anubis looking doberman pinscher type dogs and are there are there are bobalinks in this game too right there are like the little like what we would later i think call boba, boba kin or whatever they're in this game too is kind of like your base level enemy but they brought back the slimes and they've got birds that you fight and bats with skulls on their faces and everything just looks so vibrant and, and beautiful because it's done in this wonderful cell shaded style. That is, is incomparable. Well, no, like, yeah.
0: you've, you've talked about the great looking enemies, these big eyes on link where he looks great. All the characters are great. But for me, graphically, I love the water. GameCube water looked really good. And even if you're not playing the HD version, if you're playing the original 2003 GameCube version, the water
1: looked really good. It def- it, they definitely did. It definitely did because like, like you're saying, right? Water on the GameCube was like, for some reason, they were like, we're going to make water re- look really good. And the water here isn't like transparent or translucent like it is in other games. It's, it's solid. It's solid blue, which is awesome. Which is awesome. And it the waves on it as the wind kind of pushes over them. It's it's so cool how the wind just has like this look and it'll it'll blow through the air and you'll see the wisps like go through go through like a curly Q action and fly away. It's like everything about this game was designed like to the T to look spectacular.
0: Yeah. Mike, I want to hit you with a couple things, just kind of your take on some of the aspects of Legend of Zelda Wind Waker. So first, Ocarina of Time gets sometimes some pushback, some credit for the camera system. But this one was noted as much, much better. What do you recall about the
1: camera system around Link? It had one. Like for the first time, is all the game had a camera system. So you could actually use the C-stick on the GameCube controller to kind of move the camera around, which was really freeing. And it makes sense because you would need that. In a world where you need to see all around you in the in the in the in the, on the sea, right? Because it's important to know exactly what's out there around you because stuff comes at you from all
0: yeah, it definitely helps with ex- exploration for sure. As you spoke about earlier, Mike, you got the gridded map, you got 49 sections to explore, which was really cool. Many dungeons, many items. Were there any particular items? And you mentioned the boomerang. Any particular items or dungeons or things that were memorable to you?
1: Yeah, I, I mean I definitely love the grappling hook. Link in this game has a grappling hook. The boomerang is really good in this game. I love how bombs turn into turn into a cannon when you're when you're shooting shooting bombs at people from from the ocean. I think that's really cool. And then you actually obviously get your other bombs. The Wind Waker is an interesting thing because you're conducting like this wind chorus, which I find to be very, very funny. You get the hook shot. The deck of leaf is very cool and very important. I like the spin this game has on the hammer where it's like a giant skull, which is kind of kind of wild. You get all this other cool stuff too where you get like a bag full of stuff where you can keep bait in, you can keep different spoils in a bag that you can use to keep all the items you get when enemies drop stuff so you can like sell them and craft and create potions and stuff like that. The bait is used to like lure pigs or to feed some fish guy that draws on your map and gives you more stuff to look at on the map. You get the Master Sword in this game, which I think is the one of the best parts, one of the best uses of the Master Sword ever. And uh, there was one thing I really liked and I had a lot of fun with was the Picto Box. You get a camera in this game, and the goal of it is to take pictures of every character and enemy throughout the game. And when you're fighting a boss, you only can take a picture during that boss fight or during like the later boss rush mode that you get hit with. And if you want to get figures, because what happens is you take pictures with the PictoBox, box and there's a guy in the Photoshop that will actually make little figures of all the characters, almost like Amiibo. And you do that and you give them pictures of everything. And when, when that happens, you get to see all these cool, little, these cool little figures. But if you miss a boss, you're kind of screwed. You're kind of out of luck. But I would be remiss if I didn't... It would be remiss to not bring up... Jeez. Oh Nintendo with their... Multimedia usage nonsense with the Tingle tuner. So the Game Boy Advance had this GameCube adapter cable that was used for like probably like three or four games, maybe more, maybe five. It was using Crystal Chronicles. I believe it was used in a Pac-Man game. I forget what else it might have been used in, but it was definitely used in Wind Waker as you could play with a second player. And that second player controlled Tingle, who was first introduced in Majora's Mask as this man who thought he was a fairy and he wears this really strange green outfit and he flies around in balloons. And in this game, you could use the Game Boy Advance to float around as Tingle and drop bombs. And then Tingle ends up being a, an important part of the of this game where he helps you locate the Triforce pieces and you have to like work with him to find the Triforce pieces, which is kind of a tedious and laborious task which feels like it was kind of like filler because this game was rushed and this game is missing content.
0: Yeah. Mike, it's funny you bring up the accessory, the the link up because Nintendo is a toy company. We often forget that they're a toy company, but if you look at the cardboard they've been selling us, if you look at the Amiibos they've been selling us, you look at The Virtual Boy, the Game Boy, the handheld systems, all the different toys, the the Mario Kart racing that there is now that you can race with the real cars in your house, they are a toy company. So when they do things like this, like linking things up and making you buy more hardware and more peripherals, that's just like in their DNA, whether it frustrates us or not.
1: Well, despite what me not liking with certain internet personalities I have to say about Nintendo, Nintendo is a toy company and they make toys and that's okay. We like toys, right? I actually always get annoyed when people dismiss Nintendo or they're just a toy company. It's like, okay, how many toys are in your your office right now surrounding your desk? How, how many
0: Amiibo would Sony and Microsoft love to sell the countless millions they've
1: sold? If they had the characters that had the pull and excited people to the degree that people were excited by Amiibo, here's what would happen if Sony or Microsoft made an Amiibo. They would make it like a Master Chief and it would look like crap. And that's what would happen. You would need a professional toy company to come in and make the master Chief, like whether it be Tom McFarlane or Hot Toys, Sideshow Collectibles, company like that would do it. Even like Sony's first party like stuff when they do like a God of War statue that's like a like a pre-order bonus or whatever you call them these days, like an exclusive special edition. I don't remember. I worked at GameStop a long time ago. <laughs> we would call them pre-order bonuses in those days. Those are made by a different company, First Four Figures. And Nintendo has worked with First Four Figures before, and they've done great stuff. I actually have a couple of their pieces. It, they're really nice. But Nintendo's at its heart a toy company, and they made Amiibo. And the reason why Amiibo is so good is because they're not very big. They're not very expensive. And they look awesome. They look so good. They they kick the crap out of every Funko Pop figure that's about the same retail price. If I compare a Funko Pop of, let's, let's see... Let's see a, a and I love I love a good Funko. I'm not anti Funko, but let's look at like a character that actually has a Funko and is a Nintendo character. The Funko of Pikachu looks looks fine. It looks like a Funko. The amiibo of Pikachu looks awesome. It looks like I mean yeah. it looks perfectly like Pikachu, and you could tell where they got the ideas for this. It's like you're looking at the Picto Box in Winwick. You're like, mm, we could sell these and make a lot of money. To the point where like. Smash Brothers Amiibo, there's Smash Brothers Amiibo for Ryu, Ken, Cloud, Joker from Persona 5, Solid Snake, Simon Belmont, Richter Belmont, right? Sephiroth. So, so they already did Sony's job. Right? Smash Brothers is the best Sony crossover fighting game ever. So, of games that were on the original PlayStation, really. Yeah. So, so I yeah. agree
0: with you. Yeah, the That's Not all their toys hit, but you have to appreciate that they're doing it. They're out there trying. And sometimes when they do hit, it's awesome. And this might not have worked so much in this case, because not everyone had access to it, nor was it that much fun. But I do appreciate them trying these silly, ridiculous
1: things. I played so many hours of Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles. So many hours. That game got infuriating like an hour or two
0: it wasn't even the peripherals that bothered me i hated that one member of the party had to hold up that sphere to protect you stupid who wanted to be the person who holds that thing it was
1: (laughs) an artificial way to make sure that everyone stayed on the screen at the same time but ultimate alliance does fine Sure. diablo does fine with letting people kind of run a little further away it's stupid it's really
0: dumb but they should try another multiplayer i guess they have the online ones now like final fantasy 14 but it'd be nice to see like a Couch co-op type type like that.
1: I would love that. And I would love no more couch co-op Zelda games. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, right? Some things
0: don't need it. So, Mike, we have here uh, an all-time great Zelda game, an all-time great video game. There's specific moments. One you brought up earlier in passing, that was the vicious final kill, which people say is one of the best endings in any video game. Do you recall exactly how that plays out?
1: Yeah. So you're fighting Ganondorf, right? He's Ganondorf. He's not the pig, even though the big blue pig, do you get puppet Ganon in this game who kind of looks like the big blue pig, which I'll take. That's cool. But man, this big blue pig Ganon would look so good in this game. He would look so good in this game, man. I, I, like imagine, imagine him with that shaded graphics burping up smoke and fire. Oh, geez, It's just, I can feel myself just, I can feel the goosebumps. So you're fighting Ganon and in this game and Zelda, Tetra awakens as Zelda and she has access to the light arrow, which you can command her to shoot Ganon with. And eventually you beat Ganon down and you hit him. And the last thing you have to do is you have to like dodge his attack. And when you dodge his attack, Link does this like big roll. He hops up into the air and he drives the master sword into the center of Ganon's forehead. And then Ganon turns to stone, which is great. And it was one of those things where I was in, I was like 16 when this game came out, like 15, 16 years old. 15. Oh, yeah. I was 16, 16 going on 17. And the whole game is like this cartoony, fun little game. And that moment happens. And it's just like, it's almost, it's, it's jarring because you didn't expect it in this like lovely. This is the most Zelda has ever really felt like Peter Pan, even though he has, he, he dresses in all green and runs around in Ocarina of Time like a fairy companion. But, yeah, this, that was a moment. That was yeah. a really special moment. And one of the best ways to kind of end a fight with your last boss.
0: Yeah, I think going up against your nemesis in a one-on-one battle, there's very few endings in video games that really seal the deal as good as this. And it is shocking, as you said. There were two moments in this game, Mike, that are pretty memorable for me personally in my gaming pantheon. One is I love any sort of like prison escape. Yep. I remember like at one point you're in the fortress and you have to like find your way out. And I just love a good prison escape. Definitely. And then number two, which it could be one of my all time, just favorite gaming moments. And it's pretty early in the game, but I love where you're in that area where the, the boat takes you to this area where it's all black
1: and white. Yeah. So, so I was going to bring that up. This is one of the best gaming moments of that ever, that era, just to clarify what you were talking about. The boat brings you onto the ocean. It brings you under the ocean. If you'd like to continue to talk about it, go for it.
0: Yeah, no, it's just really special because everything here is is frozen. It's black and white and all the enemies, characters, the world is completely still. And then once you interact with the sword, you just see everything slowly around you come to life in color. And as we've talked about, this, this game does a beautiful thing with these vivid, wide range of colors but it's just a special moment. And then you basically have to go around taking everyone out like a section by section, but it well, just,
1: it was an Epic moment. Well, yeah, no, it's, it's unforgettable. It's an unforgettable moment of this game. Cause you go under the ocean to Hyrule castle, right. Or the temple of time or whatever. Yeah, it's like one that of er- one of those areas and you go underwater and you get turned upside down and you're on land, right. For the first time, like in the game, that's not like some Island out in the ocean. And you run into the castle And you have to get to the Master Sword. And you're like, okay, cool. It's probably going to be a bunch of fights or something. And everything's like stone. They look like they're all stone. It's like, oh, cool. Everything got turned to stone. This is kind of unique to see it. You see all these monsters. And I don't think we'd fought the Dark Nuts yet. And Link still had like his little dinky little hero sword. And when you go and you pull the sword out, color returns to Hyrule Castle. And like you said, I remember that moment, the color returned and I was sitting there going, Oh, oh, I'm going to have to fight everything on the way out. And you pretty much have to like, die hard style, fight your way out of Hyrule Castle, which is kind of amazing. And it doesn't get enough credit. No. There's n- very few moments in a Zelda game that match up to escaping Hyrule Castle.
0: Yeah, Breath of the Wild is a fantastic game. but And it's got a lot of moments. I'm not trying to downplay Breath of the Wild from the greatest games. But this just at the time, in 2003, playing this, it was very special. And I don't know what your experience is with the Wii U version. I know you said you just purchased it again. Replaying that game, I think it was about a decade or so after, was really special. They made so many improvements to the game. like You said some of the flaws the original game had with the slow sailing and with the gamepad on the Wii U, you were able to use that as an inventory and a map. So you always had your map ready for you as you're, as you're exploring the world. Those were the significant things, but then also they streamlined this final quest in the game. So it really, for me, took a game that was really good and I think made it like almost like a masterpiece or a perfect experience.
1: Yeah, it makes it a lot more playable. I played through, I played through Wind Waker on Wii U and then I sold it at the time, but I want to play it again and I don't feel like playing it on GameCube. Because I don't, I don't want to deal with the changing the wind. I just, I'm over it. I get it.
0: I get it. Tedious. And I'm close to rebuying it on the Wii U, but I'm just hoping for a Switch port. And I just don't. I've been waiting now like two or three years.
1: Well, Matt, I just guaranteed you that there will be a Switch port because I just spent fifty dollars on it on eBay. So we all know next week, by the time this episode airs, there's going to be another Nintendo Direct, and they're going to go. Guess what, guys? Remember that remember that HD Zelda stuff that you're gonna get your that we you've been telling us to release for years? Well, guess what? We're re-releasing Wind Waker HD and we're re-releasing Twilight Princess HD on the Switch, and they're 50 bucks each. And guess what? Metroid Prime is also getting re-released on the Switch, and it's fifty dollars. Give us your money. And you and I are buying
0: them all. So all three. I will buy all five. Yeah, no, it's it's fantastic. And even if they just ported the exact HD version of it from the Wii U, the, the lighting, the textures were incredible in widescreen. I loved the way this game looked and it was great looking game to begin with. But on the Wii U, I actually thought, and maybe even to this day, I haven't played the Wii U version in a while. I thought it was the best looking game I had ever
1: played. It's it's definitely one of the best looking games of that era. Comparing it to anything for anything that came on the GameCube, it's, it looks Way good. I mean, the only games that come close to looking as good as Wind Waker on the GameCube, Metroid Prime, Mario Sunshine, probably, but even that, whatever, Resident Evil 4, Resident yeah. Evil 1, those games look- And it's a different aesthetic, but I agree with you.
0: You said it once before, Mike, you said Minish Cap had a very animated link where you mm-hmm. can have a lot of emotions. I feel like this is the only other Zelda game where you really
1: get a very animated, emotionful full link. Yeah, dude. I mean, he's got a face, right? Like, let him use it. Yeah. I like when you're like you're slidling up against the wall, and like one of the eyes gets small, one of the eyes gets big, and he looks like he's being shifty. Like, that's kind of cool. Links Links a hero, obviously. He's neutral, good on the alignment chart, but like he's also kind of he's kind of a, he's kind of a troublemaker. Right, he's got that Peter Pan kind of thing. Right, he doesn't like the the bad guys. Right, and he, he gets himself into sticky situations yeah, sometimes. Yeah, sure, yeah. like a, like like any good neutral good hero should. Link is not a lawful good hero because he smashes way too many pots, <laughs> but he's a neutral good hero because he uh, he does the right thing for the right reasons.
0: Absolutely. So that's
1: what that's what makes a right that that's what makes you a neutral good hero. He doesn't care about the law. He doesn't
0: care. He's way above that. So Legend of Zelda Wind Waker got a 96 out of 100 on Metacritic. So even though fans were divided critically, the game did fantastic. It was the fourth perfect Famitsu score ever at the time. Now, it only sold 4.6 million copies, which was a huge drop from Ocarina of Time, which sold like seven or eight million copies. So it did not do well with audiences at first. But like you said, this game has aged really well. The Wii U version only scored a 90 out of 100 on Metacritic, but also sold another two and a half million copies, which for a Wii U, it only sold 12 million pieces of hardware. That's a pretty good attach rate of one out of six.
1: Yeah, I mean, for any game, that's good. But the Wii U was so starved for content that you had to. People would have bought anything. Yeah, people would have bought, they would have bought any game on the Wii U at that point just to have something on the shelf yeah. it's it's a really good game yeah uh, and I think it's just a victim when a game comes out and has bad sales figures and people don't like it people on the internet trash it fans trash it but it gets good review scores that's usually the mark of a good game and people are just being overly judgmental and critical of something that I don't isn't think what they expected. most people
0: actually gave it a chance back on the Gamecube nope So it's people just judging it based on Mm -hmm. appearances. So this game also gave us, Mike, it gave us Toon Link, which he had some DS adventures. He appears in Hyrule Warriors. He's a Smash Brothers character. I think it was a nice addition to the versions of Link we've gotten over the years.
1: Yeah, I like that he's considered his own thing, right? I think it makes sense. He's got a couple of games under his belt. You could argue that Minish Cap Link is almost like Toon Link as well. He fits in that one because, man... Our spirit tracks and Phantom Hourglass bad, but I hate them. They're they're terrible. They are there. Listen, folks, there are bad Zelda games out there, and those are two of them. I just I just don't no, don't like them at all. But this game is terrific.
0: Yeah, Wind well, Waker is terrific. One last thing for you before we, we bury this, and that is Twilight versus Wind Waker. Where do you stand, Mike? Because you said Twilight was a direct response, and it also did get an HD. HG- remaster. Where do you stand in the age-old battle? Because I feel like most people do steer one way or the other. So
1: how many episodes of this show have we had? This is going to be, I think, number 83. 83. So on 82 to 83 of those episodes, I've definitely mentioned that Twilight Princess is the worst Zelda game. But, um, but I think you've maybe also the said second that about
0: Skyward Sword, you've said that. Listen, about spirit the, the, tracks anyway. hold
1: on. I'm not counting those D, that DS trash. Like, that's not even in the conversation. They don't get put on the list. But now, for all intents and purposes, I'm joking, folks out there. I know people really like Twilight Princess. I'm just being a jerk.
0: I hated um, Twilight Princess on the GameCube. I did not enjoy my time with it. And then I replayed it on the Wii U and I said, this is a much better game than I remember, but I would still pick Wind Waker. I think 99 out of 100 times.
1: I I played Wind Waker when it first came out. I got it release day like with the guide. And I had a big C map like on my wall like to map stuff out. I played that the day it came out. I also played Twilight Princess the day it came out on On the the Wii. Wii. On the Wii. So I played that on the Wii. I actually heard the GameCube version is better than the Wii version because it doesn't have that waggle nonsense. And then I played Twilight Princess again on the Wii U. And I played Twilight Princess kind of back to back on the Wii U with the Wind Waker. And to me, there's no question that The Wind Waker is a better game. Yeah, It's a better game. I like aspects of Twilight Princess a lot. Me being hard on it is me being hard on it because it's fun. I don't think that Twilight Princess is necessarily a quote unquote bad game. It's still Um, pizza, like we've said
0: before. I mean, even pizza. Twilight Princess still is better than 90% of video games that are made every day of the week.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. And Twilight Princess has some really cool stuff. I mean, that that snow dungeon in Twilight Princess where you're making the big soup. That's great. That's great. That's a great aspect of that game. That Sky Dungeon with those weird chicken people things, that needs to stop. But I do like the Spider-Man gloves. I'm cool with that. But yeah, I think that this game, I think Wind Waker is just... I don't know if I want to say it's miles better than Twilight Princess, but it's definitely... Wind Waker to me is in the top of of the Zelda Pantheon. Right to me, the top of the Zelda list is—it's a link to the past. It's Breath of the Wild. It's Ocarina of Time. It's Wind Waker. It's Majora's Mask. It's stuff like that. So when Link uh, Between Worlds, I'd even throw in there. Link Between Worlds is really good game. It's it's real good. Link's Awakening is real good. I know, I know,
0: and you might not, and some of the younger gamers might not, but the original Legend of Zelda will always be special to me as well. So it's like. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's nice. I mean, the original Legend of Zelda is terrific. Unfortunately, Zelda 2 is not on that list. (laughs) Even though I do like it for certain reasons, Zelda 2 is not going to be up there. So, yeah, man, I think Wind Waker is one of the better Zelda games, and I think that Twilight Princess is one of the worst, worst Zelda games. So I think where we're... Um, where we're talking about here, I think I would definitely put Wind Waker uh, above Twilight Princess. I'm definitely more of a Wind Waker guy. Now there are other people out there who think I'm a moron and will tell me that to my face, and they're right about for many reasons. Let alone my opinions on Zelda games. And you also have to remember, folks, my opinion is legit because Zelda's not my favorite franchise. So like you're, I'm coming from a real a real point here, where like I like Zelda, but I don't. Like Zelda to a degree. We're not like
0: Mega Man or or Final Fantasy here. We're not talking Resident We're not Eagle. talking
1: about Mario or Street Fighter or or Final Fantasy or Mega Man here. We're talking about Zelda, which is towards the top of my better favorites. than all of those series. <laughs> I don't know, man. You make this. It's. When you make the same game 30 times, it better be good. No, but for all intents and purposes, all joking aside, I'm, I'm, I'm purposely- It's, it's an all-time sarc- great game. All-time great. It's- and I'm being sarcastic here with trying to knock Zelda down a few pegs. Just like I do the same to games out there that shouldn't be considered the best game of all time. So also, listen, you guys know how much, you guys know how I feel about Sonic. All right. Zelda's way better than Sonic. That we know.
0: But, but You have uh, to say it. It's, it's, insulting. <laughs> it's insulting to
1: Legend of Zelda. <laughs> it's insulting to Legend of Zelda to even compare the two. But yeah, every now and again, Zelda is Zelda's often considered to be fair for a lot of people, the best franchise in video games, and rightfully so, right? And Wind Waker's of the better and the better half of those games, yeah. really.
0: Yeah, no, that's definitely a good place, good company to be in. So that will do it for the Legend of Zelda, Wind Waker, I'll also throw the HD one in there. We'll wrap them all in one together in one amazing game. The Nintendo GameCube, North America, March 2003, a good almost 20 years ago. So it's pretty amazing, Mike. We're getting old. We are getting old. So I will ask you the age old question What have you been playing?
1: Not Zelda at this point. I I imagine that will change by the year end when they release, like that, the Wind Waker HD at some point in like late September, just to screw over all our bank accounts. But I've been playing Xenoblade Chronicles. I've been continuing that. Matt, after you kind of inspired me to get back into it, it's like one of the first times that you telling me to play a game has worked in our couple of years doing this podcast. I still have played very little Kakarot. I have played a bunch of Starlink though. To be fair, I have played a bunch of Starlink. So it's just, Matt, it's not that I don't want to play these games. You know it. You know that I trust your judgment. You know that I know your judgment is good. I just have a lot. I just got video game ADD and I can't stay focused. You know, Mike, I expect you to quit your job, quit the the (laughs) band and just play
0: these games. No, I love it. I love that you're playing Xenoblade. And I think because it is a renowned, loved JRPG series that there was a more of a chance if you play in a game like this.
1: Yeah, man. You, I love my RPG, my JRPGs. I, I love them. It's possibly my favorite genre. It's, it's that and platformers and fighters are all kind of tied at the same time, but I'm actually like somewhat decent at RPGs. So like that automatically kind of gets the bump when I'm not good at the other two. Playing... Uh, Playing Xenoblade Chronicles has been really great. i I'm, I'm probably about seven or eight hours in. My character's like level 25. I'm starting to fight some really big bosses. I'm starting to get a lot of abilities. So, like the cycle of what attack I use, what attack I use, what attack I use is really important. I really have to keep that down and stay, stay focused. My teammates are good, and people, I finally have like someone who can heal my party. So it's it's really getting to a point where it's really starting to feel like a really frantic. Wild RPG out in this very unique world. Xenoblade has a very, very unique geography. It's like you're fighting on, you're you're walking around on like giant, I don't know what the heck they are. In Xenoblade Chronicles 2, they're actually living things that you live on. So I'm gathering that this is going to be somewhat similar. And man, did these people hate machines. Wow. Wow, they hate robots. But no, I'm really liking it. It's a lot of fun. It's a very good RPG. If you're looking for something that needs a little bit, that you want to have a little bit of a grind in and you really want to soak in all that amazing landscapes and all the mountains and vistas and plains and valleys and all, it's really cool. It's got everything you could want out of a JRPG. And I think it's terrific. But I've also started, because I don't like money, or means I don't like having money. I like spending money. I bought the Klonoa pack on Switch. And yeah, these games are like, don't fool yourself, folks. You're paying 40 bucks for games that were essentially PS1 games with like a fresh coat of paint on them. Like the, the original, I think these, the sequel, I think Klonoa 2 was actually either a PlayStation 2 or a, a Wii game. It might've been a PlayStation 2 game that got ported and remastered for the Wii, and now it's that. But I started playing the first Klonoa, which I believe is called like Store to Phantomville or something like that. PS1 era platformers have a very, very, very unique feel to them. It, it really goes to show just how good Nintendo is at making a 2D platformer. Yeah, I find the jumping, the hitboxes, the hit
0: detection, some of that stuff just doesn't always feel right for some of these platformers.
1: I'll I'll do one. I'll go one more. It often feels wrong. It often feels wrong.
0: There's a and learning curve with a lot of these games. Like when I play Crash Bandicoot, I never feel like the platforming on the PS1 games, even the remasters, feel perfect when I don't land on the right area. I don't hit the enemy at the right angle. So my character dies. And I feel like Klonoa is very much of that
1: age. Well, the Crash Bandicoot comparison is the right comparison to make here because this remaster is very much in the vein of the Crash Bandicoot remasters because it's kind of just a reskinned version of the same game. And I like the original Colonoa. I played a bunch of it. I I I have it. I have it on PS1, which lucky me, because that game is probably like a hundred bucks if I wanted to buy it loose. And this game is just that. It's just a really simple PS1 era RPG. I keep saying RPG. It's a really simple PS1 era platforming game. And it's not that different than say like an early crash game, especially the first crash, which is more 2D side to side. Is this game going to be like a must-have? No, but if you're looking for a fun mascot platformer that feels more like a PlayStation game than say a Super Nintendo game, uh, this game's a lot of fun, but 40 bucks, like Matt and I talked, like we talked privately outside of the podcast, 40 bucks, a lot of money.
0: Yeah. It's definitely a game game that I'd be interested in I didn't play much of the original Kolonoi games, but 40 seemed a little steep for a reskin. So I'm definitely going to look for it on sale. I'm looking to hear what else you think if you do keep playing them, if these games have aged well and if they're still fun.
1: I mean, I was having fun with it. It's definitely dated. It definitely feels like a PS1 game. It definitely just feels like a reskin. And obviously they give it the Switch upgrade with the widescreen and, and all that stuff. But yeah, I don't really think about price when I buy a video game. A lot of the time I don't. I don't go, ah, oh, this this game's not worth the 40 bucks. And you know what? Remastering a game isn't cheap. It's not cheap to do, but it's definitely one of those things where I would encourage someone to spend less on it when it is eventually on sale in three or four months. I like to support when they take a Chrono Cross
0: and they remaster it or a game like this because I love, Yeah, this is a form of game preservation because- as you've said, the original games are expensive. So I try do try to support a lot of these ports and remasters. So I hope we do get more of them. And yeah, I do encourage people, if you're interested, buy it, give it a shot, give it a chance because we don't have Blockbuster anymore.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Ultimately, that's why I buy a lot of these games. I buy a lot of these games because I want companies like Bandai Namco in this instance to understand that there is a market for it and that... It helps when there is a market for it. It helps them want to make more of these. If we
0: do this, then maybe we'll get Superman 64 ported one day.
1: <laughs> I mean, if that's where this brings us, maybe yeah. I should stop buying. These
0: <laughs> so- Mike, that's awesome! I'm so encouraged that you're still playing Xenoblade Chronicles. We are getting close to the release of the third game, so it's cool.
1: Yeah, I'm definitely not playing that third game when it comes out, but I'm definitely buying it when it comes out because those games, that game's going to shoot up to 100 bucks within like Uh, the first six months. The
0: special editions people still can't get; they go in like on sale for like five minutes and then they're sold out again. Yeah, you gotta love bots. Yeah, you gotta love bots. So, Mike, I beat. Xenoblade Chronicles. I know yeah. last week I said that I was up to the final area, and I finally it was about thirty-three or so hours in when I beat it, and that was after losing and then grinding a little bit, and then finally beating it. And I'm about forty hours in now. I thought I would drop off, but there were so many side quests I hadn't completed, and the hook for me for me is I love an RPG where I get a new weapon and I see that it gives me plus eight attack, and I get a new gear. And it's plus six magic defense and plus five physical defense. And I just love seeing those blue numbers increasing and not the red bringing it lower. I just, it's an addiction to just keep getting better gear and better items and better arts. And that's driving me now to just complete my last few side quests of this game. It's just, it's an addiction, Mike.
1: Yeah. Well, also too, this game is not afraid of throwing gear in your face oh man, throwing gear. And then also you'll be just in
0: an open environment fighting level 30s and then level yeah. 90 will show up and they're like, well, I got to come back
1: and fight this guy sometime. Yeah, and like it'll massacre you. Like you'll get massacred, dude. It's, Absolutely. it's, it's crazy. You'll get massacred of care by, by enemies at your own level if they're like the rare version of that animal. And you have to remember, this is a 10-year-old game.
0: And yeah. I look at it sometimes with rose-colored glasses. I'm playing this game and it looks great. But if you go back cuz this is how I remember the original looking, but if you go back to play the original, the graphics, the menus, the map, all this stuff was awful. The game is almost unplayable in 2022, Mike.
1: Yeah, I played a bit of the original Wii version and they completely overhauled the whole style. They gave don't it more of how, an I how, aesthetic.
0: I don't know how much you remember it, but if you watch a video of it, just like type in a YouTube video of someone playing just like an event you just did and you watch them do it, it's it's awful they did a great job with this overhaul
1: oh yeah yeah the remaster is awesome the original was less anime-ish but it just looks bad yeah now by yeah. now by Teddy Sanders. but on the Wii like man people fought for that game
0: it was very impressive so that's what I've been playing if it completely consumes my life but now I'm a free man I'm still probably gonna play a couple more hours just to get a couple more upgrades but I'm basically a free free agent so I'll see what next game I play Mike
1: Uh, Yeah. Well, I'm excited to hear what you're playing next.
0: Will do. I will share it when it comes to us next week. So that is the 83rd episode in the books. It's done. Whatever the betting odds were, we won. Good job, guys. Well done. Well done. Mike, what are you up to? Tell us where people out there can find you.
1: Yeah. You can find me at the underscore Mike underscore Staub on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find me here every week on the Hall of Fame Video Game Podcast. Thank you, Matt, for doing such a great job. And you can find me with my band, Bad Mary. You can search us out, Bad Mary. Two words, or you can find us at Bad Mary Band or badmary.com or search us on whatever. We got a lot of stuff. We're always doing stuff and we will bombard you with what we're doing because that's how we operate in this world that we live in today. And last but not least, the weekend of August, I believe it's August the 12th, you can find me at the Long Island Retro Gaming expo lirg you can find us at li retro or long island retro gaming and uh, make, attend that event it'll be fun
0: awesome stuff mike so as he said you can catch us each week on the hall of fame video game podcast please do check out our back catalog check our social media feeds as i've been teasing me and mike had a fun little thing project we did on the side that's going to be hitting the social media feeds really soon woo and as always leave a review tell your friends and join us back next week. So guys, until then, play all the video games and enjoy yourselves.
1: Yep, do it. From Mike and Matt, thank you for listening to the Hall of Fame Game Podcast. Check us out on Instagram at Hall of Fame Pod or email us at thehalloffamepod at gmail.com. Please leave us a review. and Be sure to tune in next time.